We are thrilled that today we have with us on the line director Tony Ziera and in studio actor Chad Lindbergh from the doc My Big Break. And if you've been anywhere around David and myself for the past few months, you know that we've been telling everyone about this film. Yeah, we certainly we are. Sure, we've been talking you know, about everyone we're telling about this film. This is a film you guys have to see. You sure do. Um, it's formally entitled, you know, an earlier version of the film is Carving Out Our Name. And that was back in 2001. Um, it was abandoned after a whirlwind of interest and then um, total silence on the part of industry professionals. Um, the director, Tony Zira, destroyed the film and he left Hollywood. Yeah, he then returned to the film, and not L.A., a few years ago to resurrect a new version, calling it My Big Break, making it a slightly more telling version about the real-life experience of five aspiring artists living in a house in the L.A. Miracle Mile District back in the mid to late 90s. Director Tony Zira and four aspiring actors, Chad Lindbergh, Gregory Fawcett, Wes Bentley and Brad Rowe all became roommates around this time. Documenting for 10 years through video footage, photos, narration from Tony Zira shows four young men from various parts of the U.S. who came to Los Angeles in search of an acting career in stardom, just like so many people we know. And three of the roommates, Chad Lindbergh, with us in studio again, uh, Wes Bentley and Brad Rowe, got that wish and then some. Uh, my big break shows the triumphs and struggles of these men, including Tony's own roller coaster ride with the business. You may know Chad from October Sky, The Fast and the Furious, and Supernatural, Wes Bentley from American Beauty, and the upcoming The Hunger Games, and Brad Rowe from Billy, Billy's Hollywood Screen Kiss and Shelter. We'd also like to extend our thanks to the film's producer, Elizabeth Yaffe, for all of her help in getting us the film, arranging this interview, and coordinating the excellent article by Tony Ziera entitled Final Film Courage, and now on FilmCourage.com. Please welcome to Film Courage via telephone, uh, director Tony Zira, and in studio, actor Chad Lindbergh. Hello. 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 Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having thank us, you. and thank you for that wonderful thank introduction. Absolutely. Uh, we, we've been super excited super for this Super pumped one. for this. For, I'm, you know, I'm nervous. Just, this day couldn't come <laughs> yeah. soon enough. It could I'm, not come I'm soon sorry. enough. Um, you know, the stories of the five of you who lived in this house that you refer to as Maslin, named after the street where... Uh, it was located, so we're not sure that even two shows would be able to do this justice. Well, you know, but even before we get into it, Karen, you got you have you have your own Maslin story. You ha you have to tell this story. Yeah, it's funny how the universe works because um, I was driving yesterday by LACMA and I was kind of lost for a second, and I looked up and there's the street sign Maslin, and I was just like, wow. I remember I called you, mm -hmm. I parked, and I called you to say, <laughs> what are the odds of that? And and I think I've passed through the area before, but something just, I mean, it was surreal. So. Yeah. Interesting. You know, and Chad was just telling us that there's this sort of this magnetic force with this house on Maslin. Yeah. Um, you know, for those of you listening, you guys can connect with Chad on Twitter, on Twitter at Chad Lindbergh and Tony at My Big Break. You can find us at Film Courage. Um, we do read tweets on the air. The hashtag for the show is hashtag Film Courage. And you can follow it all along on, on TweetChat.com. All right. Well, again, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us, and we'll jump right in. Um, Tony, in the movie, we see that you were roommates with these four then-undiscovered actors, but we don't know exactly how you guys came together. Um, was it Craigslist? Was it fate? Did you put an ad in the paper looking for roommates? How did this all transpire? Fate? <laughs> I mean, uh, we. Uh, I needed a place to live. I think Chad met Wes on a of yeah. a, uh, a movie earlier on. Yeah. 
correct? And mm-hmm. um, and I met Greg on a small shoot that I was doing, and then and Brad also, and then I needed a place to live. Chad suggested maybe I should rent a couch. So everybody kind of, uh, you know, showed up from, you know, it's typical LA house, you know, where somebody refers someone, and we just all became roommates without knowing anything about the documentary that it would actually take place later on. Okay, interesting. And Chad, were these your first roommates, or had you had prior roommates? Yeah, no, these were my first roommates. I got there a while before everybody else, and Greg was actually there before anybody. And when I went there, there were a few other guys that were living there, and then over time, they moved out, and then eventually came Tony, Brad, and then Wes, and then that's when the house just kind of took on a life of its own. You know, to help set up this whole conversation, we're, we're going to try to focus on you a little bit early here, Chad, just, just to kind of bring out a little bit more of your story. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you graduated high school, how soon was it before you moved to L.A.? It was about a year after I graduated high school. I'm, I knew I wanted to come down here and, and you know, shoot for a career. Uh, but I kind of had to wait, you know, for the right time. And I booked a movie in Seattle that had come up from L.A. called Black Circle Boys. And I had gotten cast as one of the leads. They took a chance on a Northwest boy and <clears throat> got the movie. And as I was filming the movie, um, an agent from here that had a client in the movie came up and saw me and said, when you come to Los Angeles, you'll be taken care of. And I came to L.A. right after I was done shooting the flick. I was 19 and walked into a nice agency, which is kind of rare. doesn't really happen. Um, I definitely paid that price later on <laughs> in my career, but at the time, you know, I walked right into a really good situation. Mm. And was your goal to be a working actor, or really, did you want to be a star? Um, sure. I just, I, I knew I wanted to be an actor, and I, I knew I wanted everything that came along with it. Um, I just didn't know if that was going to happen or when, um, but I just, I just knew it was going to happen. Just something I always knew. Okay. Yeah. That's what I, you know, can you expand on that? Mm-hmm. I mean, did, did you have any doubts, you know, like, you know, because I think we're all young, we come to LA and we, and we all think we're special, we all think we have it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, was that was that a strong part of your character at that time? You figured, I'm, I'm coming here, you know, I, I have this city in my hand, I'm, I'm going to make this happen? Yeah, I rolled in a little cocky and a little knowing, which I think you kind of have to, to some degree. Um, I just knew it was something uh, I knew I was good at and I had some success up in Seattle. Um there was just going to be no stopping me. And that was just, you know, I put my blinders on and just went to L.A. Now I look back, and I'm like, man, that was scary. What in the heck am I thinking? <laughs> I'm glad it worked out, you know. Um, yeah. But it was something I kind of just knew. It's great how youth has that. I can remember doing the same when I was 18. And, and it's just interesting how you just have no fear. Whereas if you're in your mid-30s, you'd overthink it and you right, worry about right. money and yeah, that's the, totally. the beauty of youth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, it's really interesting in the movie uh, when Brad Rowe hits it big, you point out that the other roommates were, of course, excited for Brad, but at the same time, reality sets in that I think, and this happens to all of us, yeah. really, um, that then the other guys felt like, ooh, what are the odds of us making it if if the one guy in Maslin hits it big? So, and, and you see... You see kind of, you know, that they're happy for him. But did was there competition between the rest of them after this? I mean, what was the energy like between the guys at that time once Brad is sort of taking off? Well, uh, it, it's tough because, as you know, L.A. is, like, super difficult. And so the odds of, like, having one guy in the house, um, getting that 
big chance and is um as we mentioned in the movie it's like there's a big difference between getting a part and getting your break and so you know people get parts but like getting really the big break and going to sundance or toronto etc um that was like okay this is unheard of and so we were all like "Ooh, i guess this is it this is the only one that is going to get that break in the house so uh, you know it's Obviously, it was also really tougher on Greg because he, um, as Chad mentioned, he was the first in the house. And so he had, every time you get a new roommate moves in, um, they would just get their break and it was very intense for him. So, yeah, I'm sure also every time one of them um, got a movie, the others were like, well, I got a movie too. So it's always, always very competitive and but very supportive at the same time. It's easy to also... Um, it's almost exciting to like have a friend in your own house that has a big movie out and you feel like, oh, wow, you know, it's like it, it's possible, but it's also frightening because you may not get that chance. Okay. You know, Chad, can, yeah. can you expand on that? You know, I mean, were you inspired by, by Brad, you know, in this movie that's going to Sundance and, and just sort of like all the acclaim that's coming his way? I mean, were you inspired? Did you feel competitive? <laughs> what, what was going on at that time for you? Um. Yeah, he had, had had his moment there. I mean, we were all working, kind of, you know, so it was never, like, competitive in the way, like, oh, my God, I hate you. Like, I can't believe you just got this movie. Like, it was never competitive. It was, it, we supported each other, and we and we helped each other. We, we built each other up, you know, when we were, like, down, and um, we were happy for each other. We really were, and, and we were so excited about all the exciting stuff that was all of a sudden happening to us and we had we looked at it with a sense of humor too we weren't always serious about it we weren't actors you know um but i i do think it was harder for greg in a lot of ways to see all of us go to these huge premieres and you know um it, it was tough but uh you know we had a good time we overall we weren't mad at each other or anything like that um, no yeah, yeah they were very supportive it's it, you just see the subtleties, or I guess being behind the camera too, that you see just a, a sense of um, frustration sometimes because, you know, each is waiting for that part that they want. And so I would sometimes sense there would be tension, and it all depends. And you know, sometimes there was tension not just because somebody else is working, it's because you're just waiting and waiting. Right. But there was always somebody who was working in the house. Yeah, the competition comes, I think, with yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, it wasn't with the guys in the house because there's no competing with any of the guys in the house because Brad had his thing, Wes had his thing, Greg had his thing, I had my thing. So we're all very different. I think that's a great point, too, that you bring up, Tony, that waiting because so much is in L.A. You're waiting. You're waiting for that email, that call. Yeah. And, too, I think yeah. you both mentioned in Casey Ryan's um, interview that how competitive L.A. is. I mean, you need a headshot just to get a waiter job or a bartending job. I mean, it's just it's in, it's totally competitive. Um, I'm wondering, what were your day jobs at this time? Mine? But yeah, um, but, you know, yeah. That's, that's, that's the part. We, we don't we don't get that in the movie. We, we just get the, yeah. we get all the acting. What, what, what were you guys doing? You know, I mean, was was the acting you know be able to carry you in those? You know, obviously, it wasn't able to carry in the early days. So, what, what did you guys turn to? My, my, my story was a little different, I guess, because as you know, for filmmaking, filmmakers like we always laugh about this that like you really don't make money, you spend money. And, and and for filmmakers, it's like, you know, I had my own jobs on the side. The guys would work occasionally. Um, probably, I think Chad maybe mainly work. 
Um, and Brett had worked at an agency, like in the mailroom, for a while. Um, I think Chad, you, you delivered food, right? Yeah. For a while, like, uh, often, yeah, and often. When I first moved to LA, I delivered Italian food for two weeks, and then I booked Buffy, and then. That was it, luckily. Who was wow. the worst yeah. delivery driver ever, probably? No, <laughs> come on. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, and, and, but yeah, I did, I had jobs like, my worst was like telemarketing because I was selling plastic gloves to, <laughs> to hospitals and, and the thing they made me promise whoever would buy like the nurse to get a free box of chocolate. And uh, it was part of a scam I discovered later on. People weren't getting their chocolates. And it was just horrible to just sit there and, like, you know, do the same speech every day. I'm like, please buy a box of gloves and you'll get a free box of CC candy or something like that. Oh. And, um, you know, but I, I did all kinds of jobs and, and you know, worked at, at labels that are lightning dubs and, you know, just kept floating uh, along with having garage sales just keep the movie going. Can I, can I add something? Oh, what please. kind of world do we live in where somebody doesn't get their chocolates? <laughs> Especially when they buy latex <laughs> You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. You need, you need the... All right, I'll... Chad, Chad I, I want to throw in there. I mean, I mean th- that in itself is really remarkable. In L.A. for two weeks, wow. you know, so, I mean, you have a day job for two weeks and, and you book this role. I mean, that, that in itself is so remarkable. How, how, how crucial was that? I mean, if, 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 if you don't book that role early on... Do, I mean, do you do you see a, a t- entirely different course, you know, coming your way? Because you know, on one level, it's like people get a chance to literally just see you as an actor. They don't right. see you as anything else. They just see you as an actor. Right. How, how crucial was that? Um, I, I guess looking back at it now, that it, it, you know, I, I feel very lucky that it did work out. Uh, I, you know, I did. I, I got Buffy, and then like a month later, I booked um, a two spot on ER, which was a pretty big deal. And then it just kept snowballing from there. So, you know, it wasn't until like 10 years down the road that I really sort of had to like go backwards a little bit. And at this time I was famous. So it really, you know, stirred up a whole different set of challenges. Crazy house, you know, it was really unusual, I think. How much time and money did you spend on acting classes? Zero. Okay. Zero. I, I, um, I did acting in high school and did plays and then I hadn't taken never, I've never taken an acting class until a couple like three years ago I searched somebody out her name is Margie Ballantyne and she's absolutely awesome she's an acting coach and you know because my shtick uh, you know you get to a point as an actor where your well dries up and you need to challenge yourself and push so I started taking classes and you know working on my craft but until that point I never and, and what uh, about the other guys in the house uh, Wes went to Juilliard um, he dropped out, right? I, th- I yeah. think so. Yeah, oh, yeah, did he? Uh, yeah, and then um, Brad, I don't know, Tony. What's Brad did, yeah, he did take some class, like well, like on and off, but he was um, no, he was just discovered at the yeah. mailroom yeah. at the UTA, and he was just reading scripts, and um, he somebody like saw him and said, hey we think you've got something and uh, that was it was it was re- you know and then um and greg of course went to usc uh he studied uh theater and drama so everybody was um you know doing their it was really strange for this house because at the same time i you know i had a lot of friends in la that i knew were trying it that you know we're like living in different areas and um it was just very strange to just see that house just constantly uh people just booking parts, getting, like, really major roles. And I think that was 
once everybody started to work, it was just a big, a, a complete change. And it really threw me off. It was super shocking. And not because I was just doing the movie. It just was really, really unheard of one after the other. It was like, it got to a point where I would meet people on the street and they'd be like, what is this one doing? What is, what's the secret? And I'm like, I have what, what secret? It, it's very strange. Yeah, I mean, is part of the secret the fact that I mean, even though you guys weren't going to acting class, I mean, you know, here you are, you are this this documentary is being made. I mean, you know, Tony has a camera and he's filming you guys. I mean, in a sense, that's sort of your acting class or acting school. I mean, is is that how you view those early days? I mean, how, how often was the camera rolling? Camera was always oh, well, rolling. Yeah, always right. Always, yeah, and always. they were always performing. Like they were always like we would we would like nonstop do like short films, and everybody would like like name it it was done on camera whether it was for the, the documentary or not I mean don't forget I have like over 200 hours of footage since then and uh, <laughs> you know it, it was so it was so difficult to just like kind of let go of almost 198 hours and just keep an hour and a half of the film at the end it was really tough to edit but at the same time um, there was so much stuff that wasn't even part of the documentary um, that just people would reenact other movies they would do plays they would dance they would jump off the roof i mean we're just constant um it's almost like with a little small independent mini studio running all the time in the house. <laughs> yeah and, and, you know I, I, it makes me wonder was it a shared experience i mean tony are, are you literally filming these guys and you know and obviously the performers are, are are they going back and are they critiquing the work i mean are you guys having sort of like viewing parties and laughing and having fun in that sense no it, it depends it's like there was stuff that i would film and i would kind of guard in a way of like because i didn't know where the stuff was going um so i would just film stuff and just keep it aside but then we also had i think the first job chad um got as an acting gig he bought a camera like a small video camera we're like hey i don't have to keep renting and um and so this camera just get started getting bounced from like west with film chad with film and just constantly um so sometimes we would sit and watch like the goofy stuff we did or the little short films mm-hmm. but as far as the stuff for the actual documentary um occasionally we'd look at it but i was kind of a little sensitive about the stuff that I would sometimes say besides. At what point did you know, okay, I have a movie here? Because I think you, you kind of wrestled with the fact that you couldn't figure out maybe what you wanted to film, and then at some point you realized, this is it, this is what I want to film. Well, to be honest, with you, there were two things going on. One is, I was, even though everybody was so supportive, I was worried that they would just get tired. Like, they would be like, turn your camera off, because this is like, when are you going to be done? Like, because again, remember, it's like if somebody was happy, okay, you could get away with it and turn off the camera and start rolling. But when it was, when there was a little tension or somebody's going through something tough, I had the fear, and that was only my personal thing that they would say, okay, you know what? No, I don't want this on camera, or you're pushing it now. So I had that one side of it, and then the other side was, um, um, it's almost like. I thought really everybody was going to leave. Like, that was my, because it's all the friends that, you know, that I met in L.A., that, like, there was always really a lot of broken dreams, but people always were working, too, you know? So I didn't know if I was going to film everybody just going home, including myself, or um, it's just going to, you know, when one worked, I figured, well, this is it. This is the one guy, and that's it. And then then the second 
and I was surprised. And the third, and it really threw me off, and I was like, you kidding? I was just so excited. So you really, for me, I was very selfish. I just wanted it to go on forever and ever and keep capturing as much as I could. Wait, actually, Tony, I want to, I mean, I mean, because you say that, you say, like, you thought the end of this story, the end of this movie is going to be that each of these guys is going to pack their bags and, and go home. I mean, did you yeah. ever, did you ever share those feelings with the guys? Like, I mean, was that ever discussed amongst uh, no, you guys? I think it was, it was unspoken. I think we all, like, again, it's a tough business. So we were like, you know, Brad, Brad did mention to me a couple of times, he said, listen, you know what, I'm giving this five years. If it doesn't happen, I'm leaving. And I'm like, are you you kidding? And he's like, yeah, this is, he's very, wow. you know, each had really their um, their concept and the way they, they lived life. And Brad was very practical. He's like, this is it. I'm going to do this for five years and that's it. Greg, on the other hand, as you saw in the film, he says, I'm taking this to the toilet. So you had really different, <laughs> the personality, that was so, the spectrum is just so wide. And that's what made it so interesting to keep filming these guys. Mm-hmm. You just couldn't get enough. Tony, at the heart of it, how much was it that these guys wanted to be famous, in your opinion, versus wanting to be professional actors? And what is the fine line that separates the two things? Each is different, again, so it's hard to answer the question like, as far as like you know breaking it down for each person. But um, I really, truly, what I saw is is that there was two groups. One group would like be really interested in you know like. Chet could speak for himself, but I know that Chet liked to perform. He just used to get very excited about being in front of the camera. Um, Wes loved to analyze. Brad just had fun with it, but he also, but again, at the end of the day, they all wanted to work. So, but also in the beginning, they were, when they started working, their mindset was different than later on. So I think it's almost like you grow as an artist or as an actor. Um, and I saw the arc of growth. So it's like in the beginning, I would, I would like capture moments with them where they're like they just want to have fun, and then it would get to another point where you start to hear, no, this is about my craft, and then it would get to another point, and it's like I need a big role or I need to be more of a very intense character actor. It was always changing, and so uh, that's really my answer to it. It's really hard to like sum up with like who won and uh, where they were. They were always. Like, again, 10 years, so it's like you could imagine, like, yeah. um, every year it was different. Yeah, people mm-hmm. change a lot in 10 years. And we were just driving yeah. over here thinking there's so many people in this town that want the glory of it, and then there's just a small percentage, it seems like, that are willing to put in the work. We were just talking about exactly. that. Day. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that was a big key because yeah. uh, I've, I've seen, uh, it's almost like really what I appreciated from the guys, and I think mainly... Chad and West tended to do that more on their own, where, again, I go back to everybody's different. Um, we had almost like our own group of like constantly filming each other and like just going out there and trying different things. Um, Greg was more, he had more of a, almost a, a methodical way of doing things. He was only focused on auditions, but at the same time also extremely distracted. And, and that's why I love the characters in the movie. And I still look at them as characters, aside from being like best friends. And then you had Brad, it's almost, um, he was a businessman. Yeah. So it, it was very interesting to see the approach and um, yeah, also definitely. to see the consequences of that later on, which I think, in my opinion, also plays a big role. 
Yeah, there oh, was I like I can't help it. Are you thinking of the, the same the moment? Same scene? Yeah, we're you're thinking of the moment in the, the movie. <laughs> oh, are you thinking of the roof? I'm, I'm thinking of the one where he's at Sundance and he's just like, you know, I, I got people back in LA working for me. You know, here we are. Exactly. Things are happening exactly. at Sundance, and I got people back in LA working for me. What are you gonna say? Kay? I love the scene where Brad's on the ro- uh, the roof uh, getting his this photo shoot and then and Greg's it looks like he's just woken up and his hair's and he's just like and he's just like looking up could you imagine how I felt when I saw Greg down there and I caught that moment I was oh, like, that was oh great God, was that was unbelievable that was unbelievable I was so excited. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think this is a good moment to turn to you, Chad, because you, you've worked with a, a lot of actors, you know, and, you know, and you've seen them at all different stages of their careers in terms of maybe the very beginning. You know, how often have you been in a position where maybe you're working with a young actor who, who really, at that point in time, it's more about the fame rather than just doing the work? I mean, do you do you pull them aside? Do you have any discussions with them? If you did, what would you say to them? Um. You know, when I'm on set, I'm, I kind of mind my own business. You know, I, I think everyone is in it for a different reason. And, you know, there are those Hollywood people that come across. And, you know, I just kind of let them be. I don't really have much to say. I know why I'm in it. Um, you know, if I were to pull them over, I'd be like, what, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> like, no one cares. Like, it, I don't know. Like, some people take themselves way too seriously. And you're just an actor. That's it. It's not, you know. And 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 you've worked with, you know, just you know, just name after name. You know, you've worked with a lot, a lot, a lot of working actors, a lot of well-known actors. You know, what do you see in them? You know, where do you see in terms of what their mindset is when they're on set? You know, what what do you gain from being around um, some of the folks you've worked with? Just um, how you how to carry yourself. uh, You know, professionalism. You know, um, and working hard. I mean, working hard. It's it's it's, you know, it, you're on set for 12, 14 hours sometimes, and it's it's a lot of work. Um, so you know, I like to watch people and how they handle it, how they handle the set, how they handle fame, how they handle the crew. Uh, I think it's all very important, and I think at this level, you need to be respectful <laughs> to your fellow actors and to your crew and to everybody because it's totally uh, huge blessing to be able to work in this town so you know if you're in that level man just be cool <laughs> we have actor chad Lindbergh in studio director tony zira on the line we're talking about their film my big break you know chad um how often was tony following you around um I mean, was he following you around on, on, on auditions? I mean, you know, how often would he leave the house and follow you guys? Because here's the thing. I can't help but think this. It's like you guys are young actors. I mean, obviously, we know the result, you know, of sort of like the status you guys reached. Um, I just wonder, is the fact that you guys were having this documentary made, you know, this cameras following you around, was that sort of influential, you think, in any way? I, I'm just I'm trying to come up with some sort of explanation or reason. And it just, you know, L.A. is, is the kind of city where, like, everyone, you know, whether you be at a, a party or just you're out somewhere, everyone's always, like, looking around, like, who's here? Right, who's right. here? Who can I talk and, to? And, yeah. and, and, and do you think the fact that this camera was always around um, was a factor? I don't know that it was a factor. I mean, because we were actors and we're always hamming it up in front of the camera. We were always trying to push each other into outdoing each other, as you see in a movie. Um, I mean, we were crazy. And, and, <laughs> and you know, Tony always had a camera. You'd turn around and he'd be like, there, please, I am filming you. <laughs> in this Tony voice. Um, and, but it was cool. I, I, you know, and we all 
understood back in, in the day that I think this was a going to be a tool that was used down the line for actors or people that wanted to come to LA or I, I, I don't know we just I you know I don't think it really I don't know I, I'm used to cameras so and so is everybody else um, yeah Tony, Tony how, how many auditions did you go on with these guys? I mean, were, were you a presence, or, or you just kind of, like, let well, them do their actually, thing? Actually, no. Actually, no. I didn't go on many auditions, and here's ironically why. They, they just started working, and it was like, they were, like, in the very, how can I explain it? It was like, in the beginning, I thought half of my shooting will be about auditions. But then once they took off, they were just, like, the scripts were coming to the door, and they were just getting offers. And um, it wasn't really, um, there were, of course, like a few auditions were like, I was, you know, I, I just wasn't allowed to go in. I'm not going to go talk to Joel Schumacher that I have to insist I have to come in and be on the audition. But uh, <laughs> auditions kind of disappeared. It was very strange. Um, like, I remember I thought I would, like, follow Wes for a while about, like, auditions, etc. And it's like, once he got American Beauty, that's it. He could just pick whatever he wants. So it kind of really changed. And sometimes, you know, I knew that I tried to stay away from auditions as much as possible, too, because there were always, like you mentioned, there was always other actors like, sitting there waiting. Um, I actually, the ones I shot would actually, I would know the filmmakers and I would just be inside or I'd just get the tape. Mm -hmm. And so that would that made it much easier for me. You know, Tony, um, on the other side of all this, um, you know, the film got into um, to the Toronto National Film Festival, and you had uh, distributors and, and, and just very, all kinds of people in Hollywood sort of fighting over the film. Um, but I, I want to touch on September 10th, 2001. How, how, how much yeah. do you remember of that night? And, and what, what can you tell uh, us about everything. September 10th, 2001? Everything. I mean, that's what changed everything for us. It was very, because it was the, it was the, the high of highs and the, the next day was the lows of lows. It was just very, it was very, it was an intense experience. So can, can you, can you paint the picture for us? You know, what exactly happened on, on September 10th? Well, what, what happened before that, the whole sure. deal? Well, basically this screening, the big premiere was scheduled for September 10th at night. We had, a uh, the premiere, and I thought we might have, you know, um, a couple of hundred people, and there was almost like a thousand people in there. And so there was a big theater, it was like well received. Um, Greg did almost like, you know, Greg literally. He like, arrived that night. <laughs> yeah, he, it was his stand up comedy night. He like stood up in front of the audience and he just kept cracking jokes. People loved him, people loved the movie. And, um, they had to actually like kick us out of the theater after the Q and A because it just went on and on. And um, then we had an after party, which I couldn't even get into, which I thought <laughs> it was very. That's you couldn't awesome. get into your own after party. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I mean, I was like, I got to the door, and then I. It's funny when you actually in LA and you're going, oh, what should we call the movie? Carving out our name. Um, I have this concept in my head, and then suddenly to hear, come to the door, and then they say, uh, this is the party for Carver Our Name, are you on the list? And you're like going, uh, <laughs> no, it's like, I'm the filming, sir, you gotta have it, and I'm like, okay, this is a joke. Because, so then I stood by the door, and I hear, like, I would see people come up to the, to the bouncers, or whatever you want to call them, and they're going, 
I know Carvin on him, I'm with the actors and people that we didn't even know. And so everybody was trying to get in the party, including like I went in, there was um, uh, Mark Wahlberg who was there, agents. So I'm going, you know, it's how weird this little thing that started at the house, uh, it suddenly now has a, a, a premiere party. And so, um, so uh, you know, so to um, make a long story short, we went to the party and... Um, I didn't want to close the deal that night. I didn't want any money that night. I didn't want to do any business that night. Um, there was, at the time, um, I felt like it was late. It was the first night. I figured, let's just tackle this in the morning. I wanted to be more, uh, whatever word, stupid or like very sentimental, whatever you want to call it. I figured this was just about the friends, everybody was very open. They let me capture their life, etc. And I said, I just don't want to do business till the morning. And um, and I don't think my decision really affected anything. Whatever was going to happen that night or the morning was going to, you know, I don't think anybody was going to hand me a check at night. But, um, and the agents were ready to, you know, um, catch an hours, as I mentioned in the article. He was repping the movie, and he said that, you know, people were really interested. There were offers coming in, but yes, we're not going to do any deals for us. I said, great. And met everyone, and I heard that night that, um, from someone that Mark Wahlberg was actually had this concept in his mind, which I would discover that it was Entourage. Oh, really? And he was there looking around. Um, and so I was like, well, that's great. I met him, said hello, talked, whatever. And, um, and everybody just like had a good time. I went back to the hotel. Um, I think I slept for like maybe an hour. I was actually, no, I took, I took a taxi and left the party because I was starting to freak out. I just couldn't believe that the movie was done. And that I would actually, like, have a movie done and, like, be looked at as, like, maybe a filmmaker, like, that dream. So I had to really, like, get away for, like, half an hour because I was really, like, overwhelmed. <laughs> and, um, and then when I came back, and I think they called me in the morning, it was the publicist then, Elizabeth Yaffe, the producer. She, she called in the morning and she said, watch TV. And, of course, I turned it on the TV and I, all I saw was, like, um, you know, smoke coming out of a building. I didn't really know what was happening. And they were like, sounded like they don't want to go to the screening. We had the press screening in the morning. And um, and I thought they were like pulling something on me as if like they don't want to work hard or whatever. So then I got them like, what are you talking about? You're going to be down there. And so I went down there to the press screening. I opened the door and there was literally one person in the theater. And so, of course, I went crazy. So then I went up, upstairs, looked on the sidewalk, and it's literally the entire sidewalk was people on cell phones crying. And, and then that's when I heard that it was a, a passenger plane. Because I thought it was a helicopter blade hit the windows or something. And, uh, and when I saw that, it was like, that was it. We all like, kind of com completely forgot about the movie. They announced that they shut down the festival, which they did resume on the last day, I believe. And just like, you know, life completely changed. And, um, and then that following night, our agent said, like, we were going to have dinner. There was, like, Sony um, Sony Classic was there and like, a couple of other uh, distributors that maybe we could talk to. Um, the actors and everybody said, let's donate some. If we do the sale, we'll donate some percentage to um, the, the cause, or just, like, because of the catastrophes in New York, etc. But I didn't think that was going to affect the movie, but we also we weren't thinking movie anymore. Um, and then um, the heat kind of died down, and it seemed like that Cassian wanted to just 
the people left, and then uh, I'm sure you remember they started to say, "Well, that people's accounts were um, that the whole the whole industry was being affected, that buyers left town, etc." So they said, "Let's just pick this up in LA when we get back," and and then we all left, and that was it. Just just to help set it up here, Tony, um, you know, leading up to to the premiere or you know the, this whole premiere. What, what kind of advice, what, what kind of people did you have around the film, like, you know, leading up to it? You know, you said you didn't want to make a deal that night. What, what, who did you have in your ear and, and kind of what, what, what advice were you being given? Well, I was being given that um, uh, I was told that basically we'll sell, um, you know, as they break your in territories. Some people were saying we'll sell domestic and hold on to foreign. All will sell foreign and hold on to domestic because that's where the money is. And so you had a lot of people that were interested um, to buy different territories. But we also wanted, I was more not inclined, I wanted to do something with MTV or someone that would actually have this as because of just the age group and like, you know, at the time that was a big thing about reality when I started filming. Remember, it wasn't really like talked about much. You know, people, it was very odd to like, oh, you're going to follow your friend. And so by then, by 2001, it would start to kind of be very interesting thing about like, oh, you really had actors, access to actors, etc. So we thought at one point that Kessie wanted to go with MTV, but then was Miramax was there. Some people wanted to buy foreign. Um, there were also independent distributors that wanted to put in all the money, take all the foreign rights, and leave the domestic aside till we get back. So there was just all kinds of deals. Uh, floating around. My concern was that I didn't want, you know, as a, we've all heard the stories, that they were going to take the movie and recut it. So I was kind of adamant, like, that you're not going to do that. Because, um, so I wanted to really, whoever was going to give us a deal, I wanted to make sure that uh, they're not going to really change the film on me. You know, I was worried that they may say, well, three are known, let's cut the unknown guy, you know, you know whatever, you know, did you know. So I was really more kind of cautious, like I wanted to sit down and hear what the distributor was planning to do with the movie. And that was it. It seems like a lot of the calls and, and um, communication just pretty much came to a stop. Why is it this film is so sort of in the dark? Because we believe so much in it and we tell everybody we know about it. Is it blacklisted? Does Hollywood not want uh, you know well, the general public to see it? Great question. Which. It, took me a long time to keep uh, kept thinking about that, and I asked around a lot. And what happened is this. In, the, the industry wasn't really interested in the documentary before until it went to Toronto. Once it went to Toronto, um, you just couldn't stop it, and, and industry suddenly wanted to be part of it. And they just overnight, they were fighting about wrapping the movie. Um, and that was from CA to William Morris, etc. Um, and... I was aware of that, that I know that this is this was happening because of the buzz. And uh, I did get offers that people wanted to talk about like other movies in the future. I was like, let's just focus, let's just sell this movie and we'll see what happens. And then um, once the heat died down in Toronto and the movie came here in L.A., um, I think this is when like industry swatched the movie. And I think... It's almost like they were nervous. I, I still go back to the time where, like, Wes's people at the time were really a little tense about the movie, and I don't think it was really the movie. I think it's also where Wes was at the time. Um, 
uh, what I mean by that is that he was he was through a darker period who was going there, I guess, and that just kind of called too much attention to um, to that, I would assume. And um, and that's when I would call back and I would ask for my print. They they lost my print at one point, and then I would start to get my calls returned. Mm. And um, there was just like a lot of chaos. Other agents wanted to finish the deal. Um, they wouldn't let them take the deal and finish it. And then I would call back again, and they would say, "Well, I don't know. I'm sitting with them in the meeting in the at William Morris in the morning." And they would sit together. And then the other agent would say, "I would like to run with this. There are deals out there." And they would just call me back and say, he just doesn't want to talk about it. Uh, and that's Cassian. And I just never heard from him. I mean, it's, it's so shocking to be a filmmaker, right? And go to a festival, have an agent, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody's like, he was, he was obsessed with the movie. And then to, like, suddenly you just, no one wants to talk to you. It was really threw me off. Mm. Um, and I felt like there was just pressure. Um, possibly pressure on Cassian at the time. Nobody really ever like came back and explained what happened. All I know is that Wes's agent was at the screening at the time. He watched the movie. He was extremely tense. Didn't want to talk to me. Walked out. Mm. And um, and so to them it was too exposing. But to people, let's say like Chad, or I would say Chad is Chad is you know I mean he's there. He can tell you, but he's been so he always saw it as a learning tool. And a teaching tool in a sense. So, like, he wanted people to see what it was like. That was my intention from the beginning. Um, the, all the guys actually felt and saw it that way. But, you know, again, we were all surrounded by um, agents and managers that, like, we may have a certain thought at one moment, but the agent and the manager doesn't see it that way. And so they would um, step in and they would, um, you know, including what his manager, which at the time was Lee Daniels, who's the director now. Mm-hmm. Um, he was going to run with the movie, and then he, again he disappeared. So it was like I would I would be bounced from one person to another in hope that they would sell the movie. And then time just kept going, mm-hmm. going, 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 and nothing is happening. Nothing is happening. And we all know that it's like when you get to that feel, like when you get to this period where like actually time is running and no one is calling you, no one is giving you a straight answer. Yeah, you know what that means. Oh you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Let yeah. me throw in this mm-hmm. question, you know, um, you know, because we're coming down to our final five yeah. minutes here, so we're going to try to pack in some more stuff. Ch- Chad, is it possible to sustain an acting career in Los Angeles if you don't have a so so called big break of some kind? You know, because am I right that you have to get something to pop? You have to be working. You have to have per- uh, perseverance. Um, I think you have to have some talent to back it up. To continue working, to have that, um, you know, t- to go the, the distance over the years, you definitely have to have some talent, I think. And yeah, having those pops along the way, it, you know, doesn't hurt. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 nice to have those uh, those those mile markers along the way, you know, that sort of like take you to that next level, hopefully. Um, but everyone's different, you know. Everyone has a different. You know, you could be Shia LaBeouf and have every major movie handed to you when you're 19, but he was in it, you know, since he was, you know, young. So it's just, you know, or you could be in your 50s and have your big break and, you know, everyone's different. Um, I've had a steady burn, which uh, in the long run is the way to go for me, you know. You kind of, 
you don't uh, get too ahead of yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and you have this one especially great scene in the movie where you're talking about when you're like 18 or 19, you're having all this great work thrown at you, and you don't realize kind of what you have, you know? And just as we wrap up here, can you talk about what life was like when stuff wasn't as easy, when when work wasn't coming your way? I think you had to move out of your place, yeah. and, and some really traumatic stuff happened. Yeah, um, gosh, it was, uh, I don't know how long ago it was now, eight years ago? No. Gosh, I don't know. Yeah, there came a time um, I couldn't afford rent anymore. Things just got way out of hand. I had a lot of you know, financial issues that just got on top of me. I had to move out of my house. Um, I moved back home for a little bit uh, with my folks and I had to kind of like work it out. I got a little cabin on the lake and back home up in Washington and just sorted it out for a little while. And then I came back to LA and just sort of like, you know, built up my, you know, uh, confidence again. But, um, yeah, it was a tough time. But, you know, it builds character, and I think you all need to go through the ups and the downs to appreciate, you know, when things do happen, you appreciate it that much more. And what was it that's, well, what is it that's different about now? So you went through that dark time, and so what do you think it is now where it's it's going to be different? Do you think just being older or, or, or just having been through sort of life's challenges? What, what is it? I think, yeah, having gone through all that, um, I've been here a while now, so, you know, nothing really surprises me <laughs> too much. <laughs> um, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, just, you know, yeah, I think being here as many years and, you know. Yeah. yeah. You, know, I, you know, Tony, you know, this, I guess we just, final question to you, Tony, you know, because after this movie didn't take off, you know, your, your life just basically collapsed in front of you there, you know, and, and, and you also yeah. reached rock bottom with this project. Can you just just can you touch on how, how you sort of put the pieces back together, how, how you got your life back on track um, from from the very from the pinnacle, from the mountaintop, you know, to to to, to just falling on your face there? Well, I, I it took me a while to figure out what to do. And then I realized, you know, my conclusion of like in the sense of how I could do this was like to reset. I had to completely reset off from the beginning, and I, um, and I, you know, uh, that's with my own demons, and like just tried to like get myself in a more of a clear place, and then looked at the movie as if I've never uh, worked on it a single day, and that nothing happened with it, and I just basically looked at it as like brand new footage sitting in the box, and the difference this time was is that I actually put my own story in the movie. Because I wasn't in carving. I never appeared in carving or said a single word in carving. Mm -hmm. um, and so in this one, so then I started just from scratch. I uh, started editing, and I just wanted to tell the story completely um, from beginning to end, including my own. And um, and at the time, like, um, you know, it was much easier. We had the final cut, so I was able to have my own studio at home. I could have as many drives as I want and put all the footage on it, and I didn't have to do this offline, online thing, which drove me crazy when I was editing in 2001. And um, and I just went for it, and I edited the movie, and it was just it was actually more liberating to actually be able to tell even my own story and be um, just put myself also out there just as much as the guys. And um, and I just finished it, and 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 now it's my big break. You know, and I don't mean my big break. I mean the movie, my big break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you know, and, and we're we're overjoyed. You know, we're overjoyed that you that you stuck it out. You know, ten yeah. years on, on the same project, the same film. It's something, you know, we, we can all admire. You know, the courage that you that you've Thank shown you. here and, and getting Absolutely. this done. And to leave and, L.A. and then and st- yeah yeah and, and overcome everything you've had to overcome. Yeah, it's really important to me. I felt like because when I went to L.A., I would like go to every library and video store and just try to find like anything I could learn from. And I would listen, as we all filmmakers and actors, we listen to like the the audio track on a DVD, et cetera, the commentary. And I would, um, you know, I'm so happy to just have this thing where like you could literally sit and watch the reaction of each person in the movie, the decisions they make, the the lessons. And, and I wanted also the story of just like for filmmakers to see like, that's what you're going to hear. That's what people will tell you. And even if everything falls apart and it's all destroyed, he's, can get back on again and do what you wanted to do and just keep that dream going because it really only ends when you let it end and so that was really a good story for me to tell and and I have to still again mention you know when Chad called and told me that Heath Ledger died that was also another point where I felt like I had to uh, you know there's we just all get caught up in that business as you know and it's very it's almost like you have to stay grounded and clear and just stay healthy and and just keep trying because you know no one stops no one's stopping you the only one going to stop yourself we we love the conversation and we will plainly say to everyone listening to this each of you listening you have to see this movie. There's, there's sure no do. way you, you can listen to Film Courage and not see My Big Break. It's a movie you have to see. We've been speaking with director Tony Zira and actor Chad Lindbergh from the documentary My Big Break. You can find out more about Tony, Chad, and My Big Break at mybigbreakmovie.com, at mybigbreak on Twitter, mybigbreak on Facebook, and, of course, at, at Chad Lindbergh on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, and thanks again, guys, for your time today. I mean, we really want more people watching the film and talking about it, and you can. You can find it on Distrify and also Amazon.com, and there's also direct links to those sites um, on the website, mybigbreak.com. And again, we'd like to extend our thanks to the film's producer, Elizabeth Yaffe, for all her help in arranging this interview. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank, Thank you guys, guys for having yeah. us and being such a huge support. It means very much. a lot Thank to us. Yeah. Oh, Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for everyone listening. And a special shout out to the Supernatural fans who come in droves That's to listen. Supernatural. So. <laughs> they are the best fans in the yeah. world, really. You guys are thank awesome. You. Thank cool. you guys. Yeah, it's really cool. a great interview. Thank oh, you. Thank you thank so you. much. And to all of you out there listening, have a great week. <laughs>